We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you do subscribe. Don't forget to turn on those notifications as well. Especially important this time of year with the trade deadline creeping up on February 10th. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Doesn't really matter. Just make sure you do follow us. And of course, if you want to throw us a rating and review, we certainly appreciate it, particularly the five-star variety. All right, so let's talk. We're going to get into a number of different things today. Obviously, solo show. Last show, I had Ron Gutterman on with me for this one. Solo show. And for those that are new to the format, the way we're approaching this is now Monday through Friday, we're going to be providing a Lakers podcast for you. Now, in some cases, that's going to take the form of the LakersNation.com live post-game show. But anytime there's not a game, we're going to be doing our LakersNation.com podcast. Sometimes it'll be just me. Sometimes we'll have guests on. Sometimes it might even be other people all together. But we'll have a podcast out there for you Monday through Friday every single day. And then if the Lakers happen to play on Saturday, well, hey, then that means you get a bonus podcast and one that'll come out on Sunday or a Friday night. You'll get a Saturday podcast, whatever. Bottom line, you're going to get at least five podcasts a week from Lakers Nation. And some weeks it will be even more than that. So that's right. The, the post-game show stays the same. Nothing changes there. The only difference is you're getting more LakersNation.com content. So I feel like that's got to be a pretty good deal. So a few things that I want to get into today, though. I want to talk about LeBron's injury and what this might mean for the Lakers moving forward, particularly as we start to take a little bit closer look at the standing. Some of it is a little bit troubling, but there is some reason for optimism too. So I've got a few things that I want to get into there. Also, I want to talk a bit about what the Lakers should actually be looking for on the trade market. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about, can the Lakers go get this guy? Can they get that guy? Can they get this player? What is it though that they really should be looking for? What skill sets do they need on this team moving forward? And I know the, the knee-jerk reaction is to say, a lot of things is what, they, is what they need. There's a lot of different things out there that the Lakers could use, but I want to break down a little bit of statistically where the Lakers are actually at right now compared to the rest of the league and then get into what it is that they're looking for. And then 
I'm going to do a little mailbag section, question and answer style. I threw it out there on my Instagram page, as well as the LakersNation.com Instagram page. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. If you're following me over on Twitter, that's at Trevor underscore Lane. I tossed it out there to some of my followers to get some, some questions, just some things that people wanted me to talk about on here. So we will finish off with a little mailbag segment. Again, the nice part about this, part of the reason why we went to this format was because as great as the post-game show is, and I still love doing that, it really is kind of just a question and answer format where fans are throwing questions at us, we're discussing, and then going from there. This lets me dive into topics a little bit more in-depth Whereas on the post-game show, which is great, but it goes rapid fire. And so I can spend, you know, a couple of minutes per topic, maybe, maybe at the most. And so this lets me go a little bit more in-depth into some other topics. So hopefully we hit a few different types of uh, viewers, listeners, if you will, by going this route. All right, let's talk LeBron's injury. Let's start things off with that. LeBron James still dealing with swelling in his knee. Now, the Lakers, I'm assuming most of you are watching this or listening to this on Tuesday. The Lakers are having practice on Tuesday. And from what they've told us, there is going to be a media avail availability Tuesday afternoon. I am hoping, fingers crossed, that we are going to find out more at that point, that we'll know more about LeBron, what's going on with him. I'm sure that's going to be the first question asked of Frank Vogel when he does uh, when it does come time for him to take questions it's going to be about LeBron James in fact before the last game against the Atlanta Hawks the first question was about LeBron and then after that in Vogel's pregame media availability he only talks pregame for you know like five ish minutes Every other question was about LeBron. Even once we got the answer that no, LeBron's not playing, it became, where is LeBron? Is he in? Did he fly back yet? What's going on there? What's happening with him moving forward? All kinds of different things. So I'm assuming we're going to get some more info on LeBron. But um, I think there is a little bit of reason for worry here. Now, LeBron, Frank Vogel didn't rule him out for Wednesday's game against the Blazers. But remember, the Lakers... Right off the bat, there's a it's a back-to-back. -back. They play the Blazers on Wednesday and then the Clippers, technically away against the Clippers on Thursday. Those are two home games. But if you're dealing with knee swelling, you'd have to imagine the Lakers probably would be a little hesitant to play him in a back-to-back -back if he is able to play at all. And we don't know that. And that's the other concern here. The MRI, from what Frank Vogel told us, didn't show anything other than just swelling, which on one hand, that could be a good thing, right? Okay, great. There's no, there's no tears or anything like that. His knee's just a little bit swollen, but why is the knee swollen, right? That's, it could be that there was just something that they didn't see on there. So I am keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that this isn't a precursor to another announcement coming later, where once they get the swelling to go down in the knee, then suddenly you can see some stuff that you didn't see before, and then we find out something else is going on. On the positive side, there wasn't a moment in a game where LeBron, you know, pulled up or or turned awkwardly, or like Joe Ingles is now out for the season with a torn ACL, and you knew it when he when he did it. Uh, LeBron didn't have that moment. LeBron didn't have that moment, moment in any particular game, I'm trying to think of any time where he tweaked his knee or anything like that. We didn't see, we didn't see anything like that. So hopefully this really is just swelling and that's it because we know this Lakers team is not nearly as good without LeBron James. And you look at, when we look big picture at the standings, the opportunities are slipping by. If you look at this road trip that they were just on, so they lose LeBron for the final three games of the road trip. Now against the 76ers, would LeBron have made the difference there? Would they have won the game? Maybe. I mean, Anthony Davis outperformed Joel Embiid. LeBron's incredible. He's been playing at an MVP caliber level. Maybe they would have got that win. 
Okay, we can put that, maybe it's a coin flip, a toss-up, whatever we want to call it. However, I mean, against the Hornets and against the Hawks, I can say pretty confidently that if LeBron had been healthy and LeBron had played, the Lakers win those two games. And then, so at the very least, at the very least right now, we're talking about a four and two road trip and we're talking about what a success this road trip was. Instead, it's a two and four road trip and there's a lot of doom and gloom around the Los Angeles Lakers, particularly when you look at the standings. Now, the reason why there's so much doom and gloom is because of what happened earlier in the season. Because every NBA team, every team, they have a certain number of games that they can kind of fumble away, right? Even if you're one of the top teams in the NBA, you could fumble away a few games here and there. Some games that, eh, you know, on a random Wednesday night in January, whatever, you just don't quite have it. You just don't have it, and you wind up losing a game that, well, you probably shouldn't have. Lose to a team that you shouldn't have. And that's okay. That's going to happen. That's going to happen over the course of an NBA season. The problem is the Lakers have already blown through their allocation of giveaway games and then some. And then some. And then we saw them do it again against the Atlanta Hawks. And you can attribute that loss to LeBron James not being there. Now, obviously, the Lakers still had enough to get the job done. When you're leading by 10 points heading into the fourth quarter, LeBron or no LeBron, you need to win that game. And the Lakers did not. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. But with LeBron James being out, the concern is that for however long he's out, that takes any game that you would look at and say, hey, this one's probably a win. And it puts it more into a toss-up category. So right now, the Lakers, 24 and 27 on the season, three games below 500. They are minus 1.6 in point differential. Not good. You look at the Clippers without Paul George, Without Kawhi Leonard, they sit with a record of 26 and 27 on the season, and they are one game ahead of the Lakers. The Clippers missing both their stars are one game ahead of the Lakers. And the Lakers, now look, the Lakers have been dealing with tons of injuries. We literally got one game. We got one game after Anthony Davis came back that we had LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and AD all in the lineup. That was it. One game, and then it became LeBron's knee. Right, that that sidelined him, and the Lakers then lost three games in a row from there. Um, so for the Lakers, the thing now is racking up as many wins as you can. And if LeBron is out, doing that is going to be a challenge. It's going to be tough. Right now, they are the nine seed. They're the nine seed, and we're at the part of the season where we really have to start looking at this. There's only what about 30 games left in the season at this point, and that's it. That's it, and then the season is over. So the chances now of catching the Denver Nuggets for the five seed, well, that's probably out. That's probably out. You're five games back of the Denver Nuggets, and they're sitting in the five seed. Probably can't catch them. The Dallas Mavericks, you are four games back of them. Catching them for the six seed is going to be tough. So what does that mean? That means unless the Lakers can get healthy and get healthy now, and I mean LeBron James comes back and they're able to uh, string together some wins, we're probably looking at the play-in tournament. We're probably looking at the play-in tournament for this team. And again, I think if LeBron's healthy and you go four and two on this road trip, you are ahead of the Clippers right now. You're sitting right there neck and neck with the Minnesota Timberwolves and you're a win streak away from moving up to the sixth seed. But dropping those two games, the last two games that again, I think would have pretty confidently been wins with LeBron, that puts you into position where now we're looking at the play-in tournament. And now we're talking about can the Lakers just get the seven or eight seed so they only have to win one game 
rather than win two games. Remember, the play-in tournament is structured so that if you are the seventh seed or the eighth seed, you only have to win once. You win once and you're in. If you are the ninth seed or the 10th seed, you have to win twice. You have to win two games in order to get in. So again, the way it works is the seventh seed plays the eighth seed. Whoever wins, you're through. You are the seventh seed. The nine seed plays the 10th seed. Whoever wins, you go through to the next round and whoever loses goes home. So let's say in this case, in this case, the way the standings are right now, the Timberwolves are the seven, Clippers are the eight, and the Clippers just lost tonight. So thank you, Indiana Pacers, for beating the Clippers. The nine seed is the Lakers. The 10th seed is the Blazers. So in this scenario, let's say the Timberwolves and the Clippers played and the Clippers lost, Timberwolves would become the seven seed. The Lakers and the Blazers play. The Lakers win. The Lakers, as the nine seed, would then not be in. The Blazers would go home. They're done. The Lakers would then have to play the Clippers to see which one of those two teams would get the eight seed. So if you're the Clippers, again, you have to be beaten twice in order to be knocked out. Whereas if you're the Lakers, all it takes is losing once and you're done. You have to win two games in a row in order to get in. So now we're even looking at, because the season's been so rough, we're looking at not just being in the play-in tournament, but can the Lakers get into the seven or eight seed in the tournament so they only have to win once in order to get through? Man, that's how rough of a season this has been. Now we have to start taking a look at positioning within the play-in tournament. Now, is the six seed completely out of reach? No, but it would take a pretty significant win streak for the Lakers. And again, losing these games that they frankly shouldn't. Again, up 10 against the Hawks, you shouldn't lose that game these ones are starting to really come back to haunt the Lakers. And I talked about this at the beginning of the season. People were saying, oh, it's early in the season. These things happen and all of that when the Lakers drop games to the Oklahoma City Thunder and teams of that nature. The problem is now, These this is the time of year where those early season losses to teams that you shouldn't have lost to really come back to bite you in the standings. And that's what we're seeing right now for the Lakers. So again, fingers crossed. Hopefully LeBron James can get back sooner rather than later because things are not looking good in the standings. Now, I did say there was an optimistic part of this, though. And the optimistic part is this. As rough of a season as it's been for the Lakers, the Western Conference is more forgiving than ever. It's more forgiving than ever. Most years, above 500 teams are missing the playoffs in the West. Above 500 teams are not getting in. This year, because the West has been, the entire West has been hit by injuries, um, you've got a lot more for, uh, forgiveness here. From the Western Conference, you can be not quite as good. You can be performing at not nearly as high of a level and still get into the playoffs. If you look, though, what's the what's the floor for the Lakers? I think we can pretty confidently say they'll be in the play-in tournament. Look, crazy things happen. Maybe they go on a, a terrible losing streak and then and LeBron's out for the season or something like that. Man, knock on wood, hopefully that's not the case. But the Lakers have a three-game lead over the Blazers to drop to the 10 seed. The Lakers are the nine. To drop to the 10, they would have to give up a three-game lead right now over the Blazers. And then the next team below that, the Lakers have a five-game lead over the Spurs to drop out of the play-in tournament. So in order to drop out of the play-in tournament, you would need to drop below the Blazers and the Spurs, the Pelicans, or the Kings to catch you. How confident are we that any of those teams is going to win enough games to catch the Lakers? That's probably unlikely. None of those teams are really in win-now mode. So we can say that that's the optimistic side of things, is that at least the Lakers should be in the play-in tournament. I don't think we have to worry too much about, oh my gosh, they're going to completely drop out of the playoffs. They're going to be in. The question is going to be, 
where do they wind up falling? Can they somehow sneak back up to that sixth seed or are they going to be in the play-in tournament? And if so, can they get themselves positioned so that they only have to win one game instead of having to win two? And that means getting up to the seven or the eight seed. The game's coming up this week. We'll have a big, a big say in that they're playing the Blazers and the Clippers win both of those. And that should help them out quite a bit in terms of the standings. Lose them, and eh, things could start to get a little bit dicey. All right. Let's move on and let's talk a little bit about what the Lakers actually need in the market. I want to go over some of the stats here for the Lakers right now on the season, the season long stats for the Lakers right now, because I've got a lot of people that have been saying, can the Lakers get this guy? My inbox has just been crammed full. Hey, Trevor, what's, what can we do with, with this trade? What do you think about this one? Will this one work? In most cases, my answer has been, the other team says no, because, well, that's just, that's the way it goes. Lakers fans, we tend to find trades that are beneficial to the Lakers. Um, and in most cases, the the trades I've been getting sent to me, it's been, my answer's been, the other team doesn't want Russ. <laughs> There's a lot of Russell Westbrook trades that I've been getting. A lot of fans trying to trade him away, but let's look at the stats. What do the stats actually say about what the Lakers need? So check this out. The Lakers, as of right now, in offensive rating, they rank 23rd on the season, 23rd in offensive rating. That's rough for a team that was supposed to take a step back defensively compared to last year, but a big step forward offensively, 23rd. Defensive rating, 18th, 18th. They're better defensively than they are offensively, despite taking a big step back on the defensive end of the floor this season, but they rank 18th. Frank Vogel's a good defensive coach. Even he can't get this team into the top 10 defensively right now. Now, Anthony Davis being out certainly is a factor here. Net rating, they're 21st in the NBA. 21st in the NBA in net rating. That means they are in the bottom third of the league in terms of net rating. Not good. They are, in terms of turnover percentage, percentage. they are 20th in the NBA. They are one of the worst teams in the NBA as far as turnovers, but they used to be even worse. The month of January, we've seen a much more careful version of Russell Westbrook, and the Lakers have actually lowered their turnovers. So that number has actually been climbing. They've been getting better. In terms of pace, we knew they wanted to play fast. They are third in the NBA in pace. They are indeed playing fast. Not playing with a whole lot of success, but playing fast. Uh, Three-point percentage. This one gets me. This one gets me. They are 17th in the NBA in three-point percentage. 17th. Last season, they were 21st. Why do I highlight that one? Because the whole point of the offseason, Think about last season. What happened? What happened at the end of last season? The Lakers were being given open jump shot after open jump shot after open jump shot by the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns dared the Lakers to beat them from behind the three-point line. The Lakers said, no, thank you. We're not going to do that. Kyle Kuzma shot like 19% from three for the series. Contavious Caldwell-Pope shot like 21, 22% from three for the series. The Lakers could not shoot at all. So one of, one of the goals of this last offseason was find three-point shooters. And we thought heading into the season, okay, they've done that. Wayne Ellington, good three-point shooter. Carmelo Anthony, good three-point shooter. Trevor Reason can at least keep defenses honest. Uh, Ken Bazemore actually shot well last season for the Golden State Warriors. We looked and we said, man, okay, the Lakers have added some three-point shooting. They moved up four spots compared to last season. 21st last season, 17th this season. And they dramatically decreased the quality of their defense 
in exchange for getting guys that are shooters. Now, there's more than that, too. Let's face it, the Lakers also, on purpose, diminished the quality of their depth pieces in exchange for getting Russell Westbrook, for getting Russ. And, and so that obviously was a change there. They went to a very, very, very top-heavy team and expected their big three to do most of the heavy lifting and the other guys to not do quite as much. So that's certainly a factor, too. But within the Lakers' idea of the offseason, it was, okay, we're going to take a bit of a step back defensively, but Frank Vogel's a good defensive coach, so we're going to assume that he can plug holes as they come up. And we're going to get much better with our floor spacing because we're going to bring in three-point shooters. Well, the numbers suggest that, yes, they got better, but not better enough to make up for getting so much worse defensively. That was the gamble. That was the gamble. The gamble was the Lakers are going to get so much better on the offensive end that the step back on the defensive end isn't going to matter quite as much. And that Russ, LeBron, and AD are going to be able to do enough of the heavy lifting for the team that getting a little bit less quality in terms of your depth pieces, you really are just filled out with veteran minimum guys, plus Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn. The big three, they're going to be good enough to where sacrificing some of that depth is still going to be a net positive. Having Russell Westbrook is going to be better for your team than having Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Caruso, you know, Montrezl Harrell, the pieces that they sacrificed. Having Russ is going to be better. So that was the other gamble that they took. Neither one of those things have paid off. And yes, those things are connected. But again, a four-spot jump in three-point percentage is not what the Lakers were hoping for this season. Uh, free throw percentage. Now, this, this is an issue. Three Free throw percentage. They actually get to the line at a decent rate. Free throw percentage. They are 28th in the NBA right now in free throw percentage. And Shaq is no longer on this team. And they are 28th in free throw percentage. And typically, right, one of the things that, that goes around in the NBA every single year is that free throw percentage can actually be a pretty decent indicator of how good of a shooter you actually are. You've seen Anthony Davis's free throw percentage has dropped a bit this season. Uh, at one point, he was over 80%, not there anymore. Russell Westbrook, at one point, he was an 80-plus percent free throw shooter. No longer. Now he's in the 60s. Um, LeBron is actually shooting okay from the line this season, but he's also not a dead-eye free throw shooter. You just don't have that many quality free throw shooters on this team. Certainly, Dwight Howard, he's not going to hit a lot of free throws. DeAndre Jordan as well, who got minutes early in the season. So the Lakers ranked 28th in free throw percentage. That hurts as well. That takes away some of your offensive efficiency. You know, blocks, they're sixth in the NBA. Even with them going small so much and running LeBron at center, they still sit sixth in the NBA in blocks per game. That's nice. You'll take that. Field goal percentage, they're 10th in the NBA. Again, not bad. They do a lot of work in the paint. Anthony Davis is still pretty efficient scoring near the basket. LeBron obviously can get to the rim. Russell Westbrook, he can still get to the rim finishing there. It's hot and cold, but... The bottom line, the Lakers do a decent amount of work in the paint, and so 10th in field goal percentage overall. 7th in steals. We said that forcing turnovers was going to be important for this Lakers team coming into the season because where they could really hurt teams is in transition. That's where you can make use of Russell Westbrook's speed. So 7th in steals, that's pretty good. You want those live ball turnovers. So why aren't the Lakers better? When you add all that stuff up, when you hear the blocks, the field goal percentage, the steals, that suggests that they should be better than where they are in offensive rating, defensive rating, net rating. So what's, what's the problem? Well, the problem is actually it's offensive rebounds. They are 26th in the, in the NBA in offensive rebounds. They're actually middle of the pack defensively in terms of holding opponents to a low field goal percentage and a low three-point percentage. They're not bad 
in terms of keeping opponents' percentages down. Now, the Hawks aside, the Hawks shot 58% from the field, but in general on the season, the Lakers are doing, doing a pretty good job of making teams miss shots. The problem for the Lakers has been once they get a miss, they often don't secure the rebound. So again, in opponents' offensive rebounds, they rank 26th out of 30 teams in the NBA, and then they foul a lot. They foul a lot, and we might not notice watching every single Lakers game because we just get accustomed to that. We don't get a sense of how often other teams are fouling, but the Lakers, in terms of personal fouls per game, they're 25th in the NBA, 25th, and Frank Vogel is a coach. I can promise you this. He preaches defense without fouling. That's one of his big things. We talk all about how Frank Vogel loves to blitz the pick and roll, how he does that to James Harden, how he does that to, to Trey Young, to these top quality ball handlers, to these top scorers in order to force somebody else to make a decision. That's what Frank Vogel does. Um, that's a big part of his defensive game plan. He did it to James Harden the other night when the Lakers beat the Brooklyn Nets, forced other players to be playmakers. It's a great strategy. Another tenant, though, of Frank Vogel's defensive system is don't foul. And the Lakers are 25th in fouls. So why? Why are they 25th in the NBA in fouls? Is it just not having focus? I mean, sure, that's part of it. But I think it's also a lack of athleticism that we're seeing. It's the team being older, but it's not just the team being older. It's also not having players that are traditionally good defenders. And so what that means is that they're putting themselves in situations more often where they have to foul as a last resort. They're not quite quick enough to keep up with a guy. And so they wind up fouling that player. So 25th in fouls and 28th in the NBA in opponent free throw attempts. They're getting killed at the line. Again, that's the problem. We look at this Lakers team and we say, my goodness, Malik Monk goes for, what was it, 30? Anthony Davis has a good game. Russ has a good game. Why are they not winning this game? Why are they not walking away with the win? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free throws. Free throws and offensive rebounds. They're fouling a lot. They're actually defensively, they're putting in the work and they're lowering their opponent's free throw percentage or field goal percentages. They're forcing misses, but when opponents miss, they are not securing the rebound and they are often fouling their opponent. And that's putting them to the free throw line at a rate that's higher than almost anybody else in the NBA. Now, opponents' free throw attempts, it gets skewed a little bit by the pace. There's more possessions, right? Any of the counting stats do. When you are playing at a very fast pace, 
there's more possessions, therefore the counting stats, they rack up a little bit quicker. So you're going to have more rebounds, more points, more steals, more blocks, all that kind of stuff. So you have to factor that in. But even still, the Lakers are fouling a lot, way more than they actually should. And again, if we're looking big picture, the injuries, that certainly gets wrapped up into this, right? The Lakers, as a team have had a lot of players shuffling in and out of the lineup. There's been almost no consistency. And if we want to talk Frank Vogel's rotations not being good, sure, okay, that can be part of the discussion as well. But when you don't have consistency, it's really hard to know exactly where you're supposed to be. And the NBA, at the NBA level, basketball, it's a game of inches. It's a game of milliseconds. If you are off even the slightest bit, there are players in this league that are good enough to, number one, recognize it, and number two, punish you for it. If your rotation is off just a little bit, they will read that and they will hurt you with that. And so you wind up being put in a situation where you have to foul. Whereas if your defense, if you had chemistry, say from day one, the Lakers had a great starting lineup and they were able to use that starting lineup throughout the vast majority of the season, which obviously has not been able to, ha to happen due to injury, health and safety protocols, everything else. Um, then you probably put yourself in a fouling situation less often. But then it gets compounded by the lack of athleticism that we've seen on this team, older players, things of that, that nature. So that's really the problem with the Lakers. That's really the problem right now, at least on the de defensive end of the floor. It's they're not securing offensive boards and they're fouling a lot. So those two things are particularly important. And then on the offensive end, it's yes, they've improved as a three-point shooting team, but they're not quite good enough. And that part of that is because You've got Taylor Horton Tucker shooting 25% from three. Anthony Davis, my God, he's at like, what is it now? 16%, probably 17%, somewhere in that range for AD. And then, of course, Russell Westbrook is not a good three-point shooter. He's somewhere in the 30s, I believe, last I looked. So Russell Westbrook not being a good three-point shooter as well, that's dragged down their overall three-point percentage. And this is even with Malik Monk, who's shooting 47% from three for the month of January. Unsustainably. By the way, happy February. How did we get here already? How is it February 1st? Unreal. But anyway, Malik Monk, 47% from three, and that's not enough to drag up the Lakers' free throw percentage more. And Carmelo Anthony shot well from three this season. So, big, big picture question. What is it the Lakers need at the trade deadline? Again, it's easy to say they just need good players. They just need talented players. I think if there's one thing that we've seen this season, it's that you could do with some youth. You need some fresh legs out there. I think the age thing has been a factor for the Lakers, but maybe not quite as much for injury because we've seen young players get injured too, just like older players. But just in terms of having the athleticism to do the dirty work. That's why, I mean, look, Austin Reeves is getting tons of minutes for the Lakers. And rightfully so. He's earned himself a spot. Stanley Johnson was out of the NBA and is now getting minutes for the Lakers. Why? Because they both hustle. They fly all over the court. They are reasonably athletic. They focus on defense and doing all of the dirty work. Well, it's hard to do the dirty work out there on the floor in terms of boxing out, rebounding, diving after loose balls, doing all that kind of stuff. If you physically aren't in your, in your prime, right? If you are not the kind of guy, if you're not at the stage of your career where you can go flying all over the court, then it's, it's a lot tougher to do those things. So if I'm the Lakers and I'm out there on the market, I'm looking around. I'm trying to prioritize, if I can, youth, defense, and three-point shooting. And that is not, that's not a novel idea. It's not like, whoa, 
Trevor, you're blowing my mind here. Where did you come up with this? This is going to fix everything. My goodness, I wish we had, we had known this. No, this is not rocket science. The recipe for success with LeBron James has always been, always been, surround him with guys who can do two things. Play defense and shoot threes. Play defense and shoot threes. That's it. Surround him with guys who can do those two things and good things will happen. That's part of why Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, these other players have found success. The problem the Lakers have is that they have a lot of guys, and we talked about this coming into the season, who do one of those things, but not the other. And Stanley Johnson has made an impact despite not shooting well from three. But look, Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington. I like Wayne Ellington. He can shoot threes. Does he defend at a high level? No. Not really. And he's actually been a bit better than I thought he would be this season defensively. But is he a guy that you're going to trust to go out there and put on the other team's best player and make the perfect rotation and go flying across the court the court, and close out on somebody and block the three-point attempt that you need? Probably not. Probably not. Avery Bradley, decent point of attack. I mean, average point of attack guy. Is he a great team defender? Eh, not, not so much. Not so much. Can he shoot threes? Yeah, he's actually shooting a decent percentage when he's hitting corner threes. But again, is he great at either of those things? Not really. Not really. Trevor Ariza doesn't have the quickness to be the defender that the Lakers hoped he would be. Carmelo Anthony, good three-point shooter. Good three-point shooter, but can he play defense? Eh, not so much. Some nights better than others. But he's not, he's not a plus defensively. So what the Lakers are looking for are guys who can do both of those things. Now... The problem with that is everybody in the NBA wants that. That's what everybody wants. They want guys who are 3 and D players, who are young, have some upside, all that. And for the Lakers, I talked about this with Ron Gutterman on a, on a video that, well, yesterday, assuming most of you are watching this on Tuesday, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker was supposed to be one of those guys for the Lakers this season. The Lakers were looking at him as, okay, this is a guy who can be a positive for us on the defensive end. Frank Vogel... Right, the uh, Rob Palenka, they were hyping up THT as their new perimeter defensive ace. That's what he's going to be this season. Hasn't worked out. Hasn't worked out. Austin Reeves has been better defensively. Stanley Johnson, again, who is out of the NBA, has been significantly better defensively than Taylor Horton Tucker. And then on the other end, maybe it's the thumb ligament surgery that did it, but Taylor Horton Tucker shooting 25% from three. He's not giving you that. And so that's making it really difficult for the Lakers to build out a rotation that can get stops while still being able to space the floor well enough to be a threat on the offensive end. And that's what the stats show. That's why they're 21st in offensive rating. That's why they're constantly getting put into positions where they have to foul because you've got guys on the floor who other teams can switch hunt, can attack, and then they get put in situations where they have to foul. And then on the offensive end, You've got guys who teams will leave. Watch teams. Watch teams run away from Taylor Horton Tucker when he's on the perimeter. They beg him to shoot the three. They do the same thing with Russell Westbrook. They're doing it with Anthony Davis as well, who has not shot the three well this season. So it's all of that combined. So what are you looking for if you're the Lakers? You're looking to take a gamble on young talent. You're looking to take a gamble on guys that you think might be able to fit that mold. And again, if we want to look back and we want to we want to you know hindsight being 2020 it throws into question the Westbrook trade that much more if historically the Lakers have all have LeBron teams have found success with 
3 and D players. Give me guys who can defend and guys who can hit threes. And Frank Vogel as a coach that would fit with him as well. Why would you go out and get a ball-dominant point guard? Well, again, the point was, the reason why you do that is for games while LeBron is out, the hope was Russ could carry things enough that you could still pick up wins. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Unfortunately, the gamble that bringing in Russ, that going for all of these veteran shooters and things like that, was going to ultimately offset and then some the step back that you took defensively this season. And unfortunately, it hasn't played out that way for the Lakers. So moving forward, what can they do at the trade deadline? I don't know that they can get in on any of the top guys. Look, Jeremy Grant, I feel like that ship has kind of sailed. I don't think they're going to be in the running for him. If they get him, great. I think he'd be a fantastic fit in terms of checking those boxes, defense, threes, youth, can fly across the court, all those things. He'd be great. I don't think you're going to get him, though. I think the offers are going to be much more than what the Lakers can offer. Uh, Miles Turner, he can be exploited in pick and roll, but maybe you just say, okay, he's a, he can protect the rim. He's one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. Step out and shoot threes, but there's some injury concerns there. And you're changing up your system and going with a five like Miles Turner, but maybe his talent level is so high that you just say, okay, we're, we're going with that. Do you look at a guy like a Terrence Ross? Does Terrence Ross fix the problem here? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. If your problem is defense and your problem is defending without fouling and your problem is getting enough guys who can defend without fouling on one end competently and give you floor spacing and hit threes at a high level on the other end, Terrence Ross probably doesn't fit that mold. He's a talented player, but that's not really a fit. Eric Gordon, does he give you defensively what you really need? That's another name that's out there. I don't know. And so it makes me question when I look at what the real problems are here for the Lakers, is the answer out there on the trade market? I think they may be in a position where the best case for them, and I'm going to get into some of the questions here about this, some of the some questions in the mailbag, it might be moving off of contracts, moving a guy like a DeAndre Jordan, maybe you move a Kent Bazemore. And you take some chances on some guys on the buyout market. You take some chances on some guys that maybe are a little bit more unheralded. You already hit twice now with Austin Reeves, with Stanley Johnson. Maybe you look to inject a little bit more youth. The question is, can you find the quality out there this time of year? It's going to be tough. Lakers are in a tough spot for sure. They're in a tough spot. And patching the holes that they've got that I've just outlined is not going to be an easy task for Rob Palenka. It's not. It's going to be very difficult. And the guys that they relied on to kind of do these sorts of things, unfortunately, haven't been able to live up to that. Anthony Davis has been out a lot of the season. LeBron's missed a lot of games this season. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker has not been able to do the things that the Lakers hoped that he would do this season. Kendrick Nunn has not played at all due to injury. A lot of the guys that they were going to ask to do the things that I've outlined as problems have not been able to, for a variety of reasons, do that. All right. I know that paints a grim picture there. I know that paints a grim picture, but but I do want to get into some of your questions here from the mailbag. I put it out there on my Instagram account at Trevor Lane NBA, which you guys should definitely check out. I do a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff over there on Instagram. Uh, I put it out there on my Instagram account as well as the at Lakers Nation official Instagram account. I said, uh, you know, we're going to be doing this show. Hit me up. Ask me anything. Let's get into the mailbag. All right. Here we go. All right. Eli Lewis 
said, what are your expectations for the second half of the season? You know, I'm expecting the Lakers to do whatever they can on the trade market to try to make something happen. And that might be, as I said, just clearing a couple of roster spots. Because let's face it, there's some guys on this team that right now just can't help the team win games. And so open an open roster spot would be preferable to having some of the players that they've got on the roster right now. So clearing up some roster spots, I think, would actually help the Lakers and allow them to, number one, perhaps be a player on the buyout market. So I'm expecting that. Or number two, just go out there and look for some free agents, some other guys that you can bring in just to see. See if maybe somebody else can click with the Lakers, can fit a specific role in ways that some of the players that are under contract right now are not. So I do expect them to try to open up roster spots. As far as what I expect from the team, I'm hoping for health, but that's what we were hoping for last season too. And it just never quite came. With health and some consistency, well, then the Lakers could, in theory, get some momentum going. But it's very apparent that right now, the big gamble that the Lakers took, can we bring in Russ and can he help us win games when LeBron is out, that's been a failure. That has not worked. It hasn't worked. They haven't won games without LeBron James. They've needed LeBron healthy in order to win. And a big part of the reason why you brought in Russ was so that hopefully that would not be the case. So LeBron's knee, that's going to be really important for the Lakers moving forward. If something comes out of this where we find out LeBron is not healthy, I think the Lakers have a very interesting decision to make come the trade deadline where they're going to have to decide if something is really wrong with LeBron's knee, they're going to have to decide, do we hold off on making a win-now trade? Usually win-now trades hurt you in the future. If you hit that point by the trade deadline, which again is coming up quick, February 10th, you may be left facing the decision of, is it worth it to make a win-now trade? Do we realistically have a chance to do anything right now? Or do we just say this season is what it is? Let's regroup. Let's not do anything that hurts us for the future. And let's regroup this summer. I hate to say it, but that may be where the Lakers are at. And this LeBron injury, depending on where, again, knock on wood, hopefully, hopefully everything's fine. But that could realistically be something the Lakers will have to look at, depending on what how things look in the next week, week and a half. Uh, I've got a question here. It said, do you think Vogel is the coach we need? Uh, Terrence Sycranth. Is Vogel a coach we need? You know, Frank Vogel defensively is a very, very good coach. I think that's been his MO ever since the day he came in. He's a good defensive coach. I think offensively, things have been clunky from day one for Frank Vogel. The year they won the championship, LeBron and AD, they were just so good. And the Lakers were such a good defensive team that the offensive end didn't matter quite as much. They were able to mitigate those concerns. But is Frank Vogel the coach you need moving forward? I think the question is, is the team bought in to what Frank Vogel is saying? If the answer is no, then it's a no. Then it's a no. Then then Frank Vogel is not the coach that you need because as a team, you've got to have chemistry and you have to have everybody bought in and on the same page. And I think there's been some moments this season where we could question whether or not that's the case for the Lakers. Now, I do think that objectively in a vacuum, Frank Vogel is a, is a good coach. He's a good coach, really good defensive mind. But I think it's also fair to question what's happened this season even under this tidal wave of injuries and health and safety protocols and everything else, even when we factor that in, the Lakers have still underperformed. Underperformed compared to expectations, even with the injuries factored in. And some of that has got to fall back on the coach. Honestly, I would be surprised if Frank Vogel is the coach next year. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but 
the Lakers only gave him a one-year contract extension. That is not much in terms of a vote of confidence. So I think we will see someone else coaching the Lakers next season. Uh, Swish Bros said, is there any possibility the Lakers can turn this season around? Yes, but the chances of that happening are growing slimmer and slimmer and slimmer with each passing day, with each loss that should have been a win. Every time they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, the, the possibility of them turning the season around just grows that much smaller. I mean, look, if you're the Lakers and you really need, you need health, you need chemistry, you need time to get the guys out on the floor together. If you are sneaking in as the eighth seed and seeing the Phoenix Suns in round one again, if you are sneaking in as the seventh seed and you're seeing the Warriors in round one, what are the chances that you're going to advance? Probably not as good as if you're getting in as the four seed or the five seed and you're seeing a team like the Nuggets or you're seeing the Mavs or somebody like that in round one. That buys you a little bit of time. There's a little bit more margin for error when you're playing the Nuggets, you're playing the Mavs, you're playing the Clippers, you're playing playing some of those teams. You've got a greater margin for error. The Suns right now are playing at an extremely high level. You make a mistake against them because your chemistry is a little bit off, right? They haven't been healthy most of the season. They're not going to give you time to ramp things up. They're not going to give you time to get accustomed to everybody being together again. They will recognize every single mistake that you make and they will punish for, punish you for it every single time. That's the challenge for the Lakers, is that even if they do squeak by, the chances of them getting the upset are much slimmer if we're taking on the one seed. Now, if let's say they were able to move up and they're taking on Utah, even if it's a young Memphis Grizzlies team, which is a tremendous team, but let's say they move up and they get to the sixth seed and they get the Grizzlies in round one. The, and the seven game series, it's a battle and they sneak through. Okay, so now though, you're not playing the Warriors, right? Until the second round. Now that's bought you a few weeks to kind of get your legs under you a little bit more, right? So that kind of stuff is important. And the longer the Lakers kind of flounder down here near the bottom of the conference, that just makes it that much more less likely that they're able to turn this thing around. Again, right now, it does not look like they're turning anything around. doesn't look like it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Possibilities are dwindling there, but could happen. Uh, Sebi2706 said, what is your ideal trade target ahead of the trade deadline that's realistic? So ideal trade target ahead of the deadline, it's feeling like Jeremy Grant, because he would be number one on my list, is becoming less and less realistic. Miles Turner, but you've got to feel very comfortable about his foot. You've got to feel very comfortable about that aspect of, of Miles Turner. Like if, if you are concerned at all, a big man with a foot problem, that's not good. That could be really, really bad. So you've got to be very comfortable with his injury. That is probably the most realistic trade that I would like for the Lakers is going and getting a guy like Miles Turner. Here's what I'm concerned about with the Lakers is let's say you package together Kendrick Nunn, who by the way, I think the chances are going up. The longer he sits out this season, it's just the more likely that he picks up his $5.2 million player option for next year. So I think if you're the Lakers, you don't look at Kendrick Nunn as a guy who's gone next season. I think the chances are going up that he sticks around next season. 
So when I look at THT and I look at Kendrick Nunn, those are two younger players that you're going to have to put in, in any deal. These are two guys that conceivably, right, they could play in the NBA for another 10 years. Each of them could. Could. I'm not saying they will, but each of them could be in the NBA for another 10 years. Heck, THT could be in the NBA for another 15 years. He's 21 years old. He could be in the NBA for 15 years. If you go get a 33-year-old Eric Gordon for those guys, how much longer is he in the NBA? And now you just gave up all that future potential for a guy who admittedly is going to impact winning more right now. You can kind of mitigate that, though, if the guy that you spend on is a younger player like a Miles Turner. who's in his 20s, I believe he's like 26. So if you're the Lakers and you have the ability to get a guy who, number one, can help you win now, but two, is also young enough to where he could be around long term, I think that could be significant for the Lakers. And that may... may it helps ease the pain of giving away two younger players in the trade. Because again, THT has not been great this season, but most likely if the Lakers trade him at the deadline, they're selling low on him. There's no guarantee, right? People always say, oh, this stock, this stock is at its bottom price. Look at look what it's at. Can never go lower. Oh, it sure can. And the same thing happens with NBA players. Can go lower. But most likely, if I had to bet, I would say the THT next season at 22 is better than he is this season at 21, particularly coming off thumb ligament surgery. So if the Lakers believe the shooting is going to come around eventually, and you think next season THT is going to be that much more valuable, well, getting a younger guy at the trade deadline this year for him eases that pain a little bit because you can say, okay, we got Miles Turner. He's young enough. To really go. So I think Miles Turner is probably the top of my list, um, even though he doesn't quite fit scheme wise with what the Lakers are doing, playing small and all that, just in terms of talent, I think he'd be an interesting fit. If again, they are comfortable with that foot injury. I don't know if they are, but he's an interesting guy to look at. All right, let's do a few more. Uh, Vander CJC said, who has a bigger chance of leaving the Lakers AD or Russ in the off season? It is Russell Westbrook by a mile. I mean, if we, even if we just want to start off with this, Anthony Davis is a clutch sports client. Russell Westbrook is not the Lakers clearly have, have Anthony Davis signed long-term. I don't think they're moving him. AD is very similar to LeBron in that it would take AD or LeBron going to the Lakers and saying, please trade me for them to trade him. That's what would have to happen in order for, for either one of those guys to be traded by the Los Angeles Lakers. it's They've got a relationship with them. They look at it as a partnership. I don't think they're moving on from either of them anytime soon. Russell Westbrook will not be easy to move, but a $47 million expiring contract this offseason is easier to move than the $44 million that he's under contract for this season plus $47 next season. Russell Westbrook, far more likely to be moved this offseason than Anthony Davis. I can say that with confidence. Okay, Rudy Alonzo said, Trevor, you are amazing. I love how professional you are with your vids. Oh, well, thank you. I do appreciate that very much. Um, this is indeed my my job, so I do treat it as a, a profession, but appreciate that. Uh, somebody said, where did you get that sweater from? You know, this this is an old Lakers sweatshirt that I've had forever. And I, this obviously isn't great for the podcast listeners here, but um, I've had this for ages and uh, I, I really don't, I think somebody gave it to me for Christmas. I've had it for at least 10 years, at least 10 years, just kind of a classic Lakers sweatshirt that I love to bust out this time of year. Here's a good one. Do you think the Lakers have to start factoring in Braun missing time to their roster building? That's Anaket Mohan. Yeah, so here's the thing. 
they did. That's what this season is. It's them factoring in LeBron missing time. That was part of the reason why they got Russell Westbrook, was to have someone who could take over when LeBron is out. Yeah, that's the scary part. <laughs> this, is, this is the Lakers factoring in LeBron missing time in terms of building out their roster. Now, next season, and by the way, you look at the contracts that are on the books right now, next season's team, it's going to look very, very different. And not just because this season has not gone according to plan. Next season, it's going to look very different because so many players are on expiring deals. So you're going to see a lot of change again next season. But I would assume the Lakers will take a different approach in terms of how they deal with LeBron potentially being out. I do think it's something they have to build around or construct their roster around moving forward. It's something they have to take into consideration. But most likely, I, yes, the Lakers will have to factor that in moving forward. LeBron, 37 years old, still playing at an MVP caliber level. But let's face it, Father Time's undefeated. He's going to have some games where he needs to be out. So I do think you have to factor that in. But the Lakers did factor that in this season, and that's a big part of why they are where they are right now. KD Gray Kingside said, Would you have kept Caruso over THT back in the offseason if you had an opinion? So if I had my... My choice to keep either Caruso or THT, I probably would have leaned Caruso, assuming the price is the same, just because I think for as much as people looked at his counting stats, people were not considering how good defensively Alex Caruso was and how important that was for the Lakers, particularly once the Westbrook trade was done. And we're seeing it play out this way now. Now, I didn't think Taylor Horton Tucker was going to shoot 25% from three this season. My vote would have actually been to keep both. My vote would have been to keep both because I do like Taylor Horton Tucker. I think his skill set is really intriguing. But the challenge is, once you go get Russell Westbrook, where do you play THT? Where do you play him? I've, I sat down just the other day. I sat down and I went to make a rotation for the Lakers because so many people complain about Frank Vogel's rotations, and, and rightfully so. Some of them get wonky. But sit down and try to make a rotation where you've got enough shooting on the floor at all times and enough defenders on the floor at all times. And then factor in that THT is not that great at either one of those things shooting or defense. Now he can do some things defensively. I'm not saying he's the worst defender, but there are guys that are better than him. And there's a lot of guys, just about everybody is better at three-point shooting right now. Teams just run away from him when he's behind the three-point line. And maybe that's the thumb ligament surgery. That's certainly possible. The Lakers have consistently said they believe that his three-point shooting will eventually come around and it will eventually be part of his game. Now, maybe that's not this season. Certainly doesn't look like it's going to be. But Alex Caruso is an easier fit. Not that he's a great shooter himself, but defensively, he can do some things for you. It's much easier to put Alex Caruso in next to Russell Westbrook than it is Taylor Horton Tucker. And that we knew that in the offseason. And so that's why if push came to shove and you told me you have to pick one or the other, probably leaning Caruso. But again, THT, Clutch Sports, I understand why there would have been some pressure there to keep Taylor Horton Tucker. But if I had to pick one or the other, I was leaning Caruso. My goal, though, would have been to keep both if I was the Lakers. I think keeping both was the correct move. Unfortunately, didn't go down that path. Uh, I've got a comment here. Said, I hope you share your journey to become a sports reporter like you mentioned the other day, Trav. I will. This, this show's already running long, though. I will at some point, though. I will get to that. I will get to that. Uh, I like this one. We'll finish with this. Is Robert Covington a likely target in the offseason? Yeah, depending on the price tag, I like Robert Covington. I like 
the the defensive versatility that he offers. He can stretch out to the three-point line. He's not a great player. I mean, he's averaging like seven points per game this season, but just in terms of having kind of a big guy that can play the four, can play small ball five a little bit, can step outside a little bit, this skill set I like for him, depending on the price, I wouldn't have a problem with that with that target. Just don't get him expecting him to be like the guy for you that's going to solve everything for you on both ends of the floor. He's not going to do that. But in terms of he can shoot threes and he can defend, and those are the kind of guys that you want to put alongside LeBron James, sure, sure. I think he'd be a worthwhile target. All right, everybody, here we are once again. I've gone way over time. I had planned to do about 30 minutes for this show, and I am probably somewhere over 50 at, at this point. But I appreciate all of you uh, tuning in here, watching over on the LakersNation.com YouTube channel, listening to the podcast version. Thank you all for allowing me to do this. Again, this show does not exist without all of you. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. Till next time. See ya and stay safe. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.